When the penitential seasons of Advent and Lent come around, are we really picking up extra penitential practices, or are we just avoiding the built-in mortifications of our vocation? The title of this week's episode is actually the title given to an address uh, given by Pope Pius XII to newlyweds in July of 1939, and I'd like to start off by reading some of that to you. Quote, the Catholic family is based upon a sacrament. This means that we are concerned with a true and proper religious act of supernatural life from which flows an almost undeniable right to obtain all graces, all divine assistance necessary and appropriate to sanctify married life, to perform the obligations of the conjugal state, to overcome its difficulties, to carry out its purposes, and to achieve its highest ideals. On his part, God has become its guarantor, elevating Christian marriage to a permanent symbol of the indissoluble union of Christ and his church, so that we can declare that the Christian family, if it be truly and practically Christian, has a guarantee of holiness. End quote. The key words here in reference to the family are, if it be truly and practically Christian. We all know how the Gospel of John begins, right? Quote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." End quote. We understand that Christ is the word to whom John makes reference, that Christ is word made flesh. And this passage from John emphasizes that through Christ all things were made. In short, that God's designs and God's plans for men and for women and for the family, all of that was established with and through Christ. So when Pope Pius XII gives this qualification that a family be truly and practically Christian and thus be guaranteed holiness, he means quite simply conformity to God's will, to God's design, to God's plans for the family. Now I'm going to jump slightly and read from the Catholic People's Encyclopedia, Volume 2, some of what is found in the entry for mortification. Quote, mortification from the Latin word meaning to deaden or kill consists in general of voluntary acts of self-denial for a spiritual purpose. These acts involve doing something that we do not normally like, such as refusing some legitimate pleasure or imposing upon ourselves some action which goes against our self-indulgent tendencies. 
The scriptures stress the necessity of mortification in the life of a Christian. Thus Christ said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Here, mortification is described as a renunciation. In other places, it is called a struggle against the evil inclinations of human nature, an effort to control them, a crucifixion of them in order to live Christ's own life. The complete idea of mortification includes love. A true lover is willing to suffer for the sake of the beloved or to reach the beloved and suffering is changed by love. Likewise, the lovers of God will bear suffering for God in order to reach him." End quote. I was homeschooled <laughs> from middle school through my high school graduation, and at some point in middle school, I developed a bad tactic of doing extra chores as a means of procrastinating on schoolwork. <laughs> you see the train of thought, right? I was doing them when I was supposed to be doing schoolwork. I was using the fact that extra chores are an objectively good thing to soothe my soul, <laughs> to bury the nagging feeling called my conscience that I was doing wrong by avoiding the schoolwork which was expected and required of me. Especially around Lent and Advent, and so this is a perfect time to be talking about it with Advent coming up in just a month, I see something similar happening with wives in their marriages. I see wives who are coming up with or searching for penitential practices to adopt during Lent and Advent. And obviously, those penitential practices are objectively good. But in the same way that I was using extra chores to soothe my soul about not doing schoolwork, I see some wives selecting penitential practices as a means to soothe the souls of these wives who continue to indulge themselves in those areas which marriage de demands from them an ongoing self-denial, a constant daily mortification. St. Francis de Sales says, quote, the state of marriage is one that requires more constancy and virtue than any other. It is a perpetual state of mortification, end quote. And if we go back to what we just read from the Catholic People's Encyclopedia, we know that the mortification must be voluntary, that it must be self-imposed, and that it is done with love in order to come closer to God. Any given difficulty in marriage is not automatically a mortification. It doesn't meet the criteria of a mortification, for example, if you're blaming your husband for imposing that difficulty upon you. And mind you, this is, this is not to say that it's never his fault. There may very well be a difficulty in marriage which is entirely your husband's fault. Let's say he uh, quit his job 
without another one lined up and now you're scrambling to make the grocery budget work for the two of you plus five kids. <laughs> but let's examine Christ's conduct. When the soldiers came to arrest him, all the way up to his death. When we say that Christ embraced his cross, we don't mean that he dictated how it was to go down. He didn't give the instructions that they should arrest him. He didn't tell Pilate to have him scourged. He didn't explain to anyone that crucifixion was the ideal punishment so that the saints of the future could write that we have a God who knows the worst of human pain. He didn't tell them to make him fall three times on the way to Golgotha. The point is Christ suffered voluntarily. It doesn't mean he dictated what suffering he was to endure. In the same way, there may very well be difficulties which come as a direct result of someone else's actions, specifically your husband's. Yet these difficulties can still meet the criteria for mortification as voluntary if you choose to embrace them. On the other hand, if you choose to blame your husband and bear these difficulties only grudgingly, it loses much of its merit. Going back to Christ's example, the way we know that God loves us so much is precisely because he made zero protest. Would you be so convinced of God's love if he had fought tooth and nail and yelled profanities at his persecutors every step of the way? You know, there's this thought in our minds as women that if we don't make a scene, our husband won't know how badly we're suffering. But Christ retained his dignity through his silence. And the same is true for us. When we make a scene over some difficulty which marriage has brought to our door, we are the ones destroying our own dignity. I mean, really, ladies, do we really consider stomping around the house, scowling, and grumbling profanities to be dignified behavior? Now, down the road, we will be talking about authentic vulnerability because it's a very painful thing when your husband is seriously oblivious to your suffering. But what I found in my own marriage is I'm willing to bet what happens more often. You know, when we were just getting to know each other, my husband was pretty good at picking up on what I wasn't saying. And this was when we were just friends. It's one of the things that attracted me to him was that I felt understood by him. But then in the dark age of our marriage, it's like I forgot. What was happening was that my husband was very much aware of how I was suffering, but I had made myself so unapproachable and so prickly <laughs> that he reached a point where he was afraid to try to comfort me because I had rejected his efforts so many times, because in my pride, I could not let go of the idea that he needed to know how much I was suffering, and it was up to me to make it known. Again, we'll be talking about expressing authentic vulnerability down the road. For now, two things to wrap up this point. Number one, give your husband the benefit of the doubt 
and assume that he knows how much you're suffering. It won't cost you anything but your pride, and you can do without that. <laughs> Number two, assume that your husband is suffering and feels like you don't see it. That will take humility, and we can never have too much of that. What marriage demands of a human being is intended to sanctify. That's what Pope Pius XII means by a guarantee of holiness for the married person. What is demanded will hurt our fallen person. It will cost us something. It will cost us our imperfections and our self-indulgence. And what I see around Advent and Lent is wives selecting penitential practices, selecting mortifications with which they are comfortable, which they use to comfort themselves and assure themselves that they are pleasing God because they are mortifying themselves in some way. While deep down inside, they know that they are only avoiding those particular mortifications which marriage demands of them daily, regardless of the liturgical season. Let's go back to the latter part of the definition of mortification. Quote, the complete idea of mortification includes love. A true lover is willing to suffer for the sake of the beloved or to reach the beloved, and suffering is changed by love. Likewise, the lovers of God will bear suffering for God in order to reach him. End quote. So as married women, our mortifications should have two objectives, which are nonetheless inextricably intertwined. Mortification is an embraced suffering. And I must be willing to suffer for the sake of my beloved, my husband. To suffer for his sake or to suffer in order to come closer to him through that embraced suffering. This takes us all the way back to episode one where we read from the catechism, it was number 1534, that marriage is directed towards the salvation of the other, of our spouse. And that in working towards their salvation, it is precisely through the pouring out of our life for the other that we work out our salvation with God. So the second objective, suffering for Christ's sake or suffering in order to reach Christ, in order to come closer to him, that's just another way of saying working out our salvation. Because what is salvation but to be wholly united to our God. The promise of marriage is that any effort that we make to love our spouse more deeply is automatically an effort to more deeply love Christ. And if you need a refresher, consider listening again to our September end of the month spotlight episode on von Hildebrand's marriage, the mystery of faithful love. In that episode, we shared a passage where von Hildebrand explains that in supernatural conjugal love, the danger of idolatry is banished. The woman who says that she is concerned about loving her husband more than loving God is rarely in danger of actually idolizing her husband and is often more in danger of being stingy with him. The woman who has it in the forefront of her mind that she must love God above all things and uses that truth to make an argument against trying to love her husband more, is actually likely to be failing at both and loving herself, herself most of all, as indicated by this argument that at its root is one of self 
self-preservation in direct contradiction to her vow to pour out her entire self for the sake of another. So, does it make sense to fast from wine or chocolate or your favorite show if you refuse to fast from speaking disrespectfully towards or about your husband? If throughout Advent you fast faithfully from wine or chocolate or your favorite show, but indulge daily in disrespect, are you suffering? Are you really suffering? And is that suffering bringing you closer to your husband and thereby to God? If throughout Advent you adopt the practice of wearing something which makes you physically uncomfortable, maybe an itchy sweater or shoes that pinch, but you're not willing to make yourself uncomfortable by apologizing to your husband for the times you have criticized him, for the times that you have spoken condescendingly to him, for the times that you have shamed and emasculated him in front of friends and family, or the times that you have held anger and bitterness and resentment against him and thus greeted him coldly, if at all, when he got home from work on any given day. Does wearing that itchy sweater or pair of pinchy shoes bring you closer to your husband and thereby to God? And you know, this isn't, you know, this isn't an outright condemnation of other mortifications. Me doing extra chores wasn't bad per se. It was the avoidance of the schoolwork that was bad. There's a difference. Because I could have been avoiding schoolwork in other ways. I could have really been wasting time just bumming around, which I did do on occasion. Uh, <laughs> I chose extra chores so that when mom asked me what I'd been doing, I had a good answer. But you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, there are consequences to me not doing my schoolwork. Consequences such as not being able to move up a grade. We cannot escape the consequences of not doing what we're commanded to do. Your primary obligation as a wife is to bring your husband to heaven. The ultimate consequence of ignoring that command is that neither of you get in. We may be able to bury our conscience, but God is not distracted from the reality of the mortifications which he places before us and which we choose to neglect by attempting to offer him mortifications which we have selected for ourselves. Pope Pius XII says to newlyweds, quote, Still less can you assure a truly happy life together if you live denying or ignoring what God wishes and expects of you, end quote. And also, quote, God's clear mandate will brook no arguments but imposes complete surrender, End quote. And finally, quote, it is this daily heroism of faithfulness to the routine and common duties of everyday life which molds and prepares the soul, which raises and tempers it against the day when God will perhaps demand of it an extraordinary heroism. Do not look elsewhere for the sources of such heroism. 
in the events of family life, as in all circumstances of human existence, heroism has its basic roots in the profound and surpassing sense of duty, of that duty with which it is impossible to compromise or bargain, and which must prevail over and above everything." End quote. Let's talk briefly about merit. This is a concept that many people struggle with. Obviously, our Protestant brothers and sisters struggle with it fundamentally. They cannot seem to reconcile the fact that A, we cannot earn our salvation, with the truth that B, good works are demanded of us by God in order to be able to enter heaven. <laughs> And so, of course, at the most extreme end of the spectrum, you have those who believe that regardless of what kind of person they are and what kind of life they lead, as long as they say aloud to everyone that they believe in Jesus, that they will go to heaven. And certainly we believe, as Catholics, in deathbed conversions and true repentance, but we know that God knows hearts. And certainly he knows if a deathbed conversion is authentic or not. For our part, it is not a good idea to bank on it. I think planning a deathbed conversion pretty much destroys the chances of it being authentic. But anyway, obviously as Catholics, we do not believe that we can earn our salvation or force God's hand by any amount of good works. But I think many of us still struggle with understanding how our good actions carried out with a good attitude are meritorious. Now I am going to read a little bit here from the Catechism, but first I'm going to try to put it in very simple terms. If someone brings you a present for no reason, no occasion, not as a thank you, literally just as a surprise because they feel like being magnanimous, and they have gone out of their way to wrap it beautifully, <laughs> in order to enjoy that present you need to open it. Right? But the fact that you are putting time and effort and energy into unwrapping it doesn't make you deserve it. Nor does it change the fact that it's a thoroughly unprompted free will gift from the other person. And so our salvation is the same. It's offered to us by God as a wrapped present. And the work that we do in our life to unwrap it does not take away from the fact that it's his free gift. And neither does it mean that we have done anything to deserve it in the end. It's just, it still requires unwrapping. <laughs> and frankly, God doesn't skimp on the wrapping paper. The free gift of your salvation will take your entire life to unwrap. At no point in your earthly life can you be 110% certain of entering heaven. And this is one place where we differ very greatly from our Protestant brothers and sisters who believe once saved, always saved. That is not what we believe. <clears throat> On that note, if someone gives you a gift and you don't bother unwrapping it and therefore end up not being able to enjoy it, doesn't it just sort of come down to your laziness? That's one thing I don't get about Protestants getting all up in arms about good works. If you really love God and really desire heaven and to be in the company of the angels, why would you waste your time 
coming up with arguments against doing good. Sure, believing that you can earn your salvation is a real problem. We, you know, we have to address that if somebody actually believes that. But to point fingers and tell someone that they're wasting their time doing good just reflects on the person pointing fingers. So from the Catechism, this is number 2007, quote, With regard to God, there is no strict right to any merit on the part of man. Between God and us, there is an immeasurable inequality, for we have received everything from him, our creator, end quote. Then in number 2008, just below it, quote, The merit of man before God in the Christian life arises from the fact that God has freely chosen to associate man with the work of his grace. The fatherly action of God is first on his own initiative and then follows man's free acting through his collaboration so that the merit of good works is to be attributed in the first place to the grace of God, then to the faithful. Man's merit, moreover, itself is due to God, for his good actions proceed in Christ from the predispositions and assistance given by the Holy Spirit. I hope that the point of today's episode is a fairly simple point to understand. Our vows as married women demand certain types of mortification from us. It is not pleasing to God when a wife avoids those mortifications which her marriage vows demand and instead attempts to fashion for herself an alternative set of mortifications with which she is comfortable. We cannot distract God from the fact that we refuse to strive towards heaven on his terms by setting and living by our own terms. So, ladies, if you select extra mortifications for the season of Advent coming up and or Lent next year, be sure that they are indeed extra and that their purpose is to strengthen you, not to distract you from what is commanded of you as a Catholic wife. Faithfully carrying out what is commanded of you as a Catholic wife is what will determine if you are helping your family to meet that qualification of being truly and practically Christian. And in thus cooperating with God, receive that guarantee of holiness for you and your husband through the sacrament of your marriage. One last quote here from Pope Pius XII, quote, The sacrament makes of marriage itself a means of mutual sanctification for husbands and wives and an inexhaustible source of supernatural assistance. It renders their union a symbol of that between Christ and his church. It makes them collaborators in the creative work of the Father, in the redemptive work of the Son, and in the illuminative and educative work of the Holy Ghost. End quote. And also wonderful words from St. Therese of Lisieux, quote, The greatest honor God can do a soul is not to give it much, but to ask much of it. End quote. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week 
on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.